Okay, at this time, I want to invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word back to the letter from James. We learned last week from verse 1 how we ought to evaluate ourselves and reckon ourselves, our identity, and how we should consider our way in the world and our standing in this life. And so today he continues with that theme because in life we encounter trials of all kinds. And so how do, we, how do we perceive them, what do we make of them, and what should be our reactions to them? Uh, his, this is what he talks about today. So please, let us read together verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Brothers and sisters, this is God's holy word to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the living God stands forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for what James has to teach us about a growing, living, vital faith. Grant that we would seek to live this word and that we would not indeed compartmentalize it away. Be with us now for the sake of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, brothers and sisters, it's no new news to you for me to let you know that the Bible says that you should not remain a baby in Jesus. You are to grow up. You are to have a maturing faith. You are to mature in the faith. You should seek out the things that cause you to grow, to become mature. Now, think about maturity for a minute. Uh, maturity is not something that just magically happens to us. You don't just by virtue of not dying grow up. I mean, the way God ordered your body, you're going to have puberty and your body will reach maturity. But, but, but in terms of you and your personality and your character and, and all the stuff that really makes you you, you don't become mature. A person doesn't mature just by not dying. What all goes into maturing? Well, you experience things. You, you learn things. You, you, you learn things from watching in the home. You learn things from being told you learn things from pain. You know, I, I am no opponent to, to corporal punishment. And, a, and, a, and, and, and when you're young, especially, a, a little sharp rap on the back of the hand teaches a lesson. Amen. You learn from the pain 
of making a bad decision as an adult, and now the consequences are a little more severe than a rap on the back of the hand, but the pain that you experience, unless you are in the category that's in the book of Proverbs, a fool, you, you learn from pain. You learn from trial and error. As you walk and experience and dialogue with different people with different perspectives and you learn how to relate in public, as you learn how to relate with other humans, you eventually mature and grow practically wise and knowing how to live a life responsibly. That's gradual. And almost everything I mentioned that makes us lead to maturity is a process of engaging with something that stretched us beyond where we were. Maturity takes friction. Maturity is reached in the face of opposition. When I say opposition, I don't mean someone formally out to get you. I just mean the stuff that comes along that you have to deal with that represent a hurdle or an obstacle in your path that you have to deal with, respond to. Now, God, he wants us to mature in the faith. And so, thankfully, our Lord, as we learn from Ephesians 4.11 and following, he appointed church officers for the purpose of leading the people to maturity. And we need people in our lives to point us to maturity simply because left to our own, we may not interpret rightly the things and the troubles and the friction-causing circumstances that happen in life that God would have used to lead us to maturity. So brothers and sisters, this book right here right after the introduction, kicks off by talking about maturity. Maturing in the faith, which is to say growing in the faith to maturity. And he does it, he begins in verse 2 by saying, count it all joy, and we're going to get there, but he says something at the beginning of verse 3 that lets you know that he's saying to count it all joy. You can count it all joy precisely because you know something. What does he say in verse 3? The very beginning of verse 3. For you know. So this for you know of verse 3 is going to elucidate the basis for which, or because of which, you are then back in verse 2, able to count it all joy. So that's why we're going to look at the end first. And what is the end? Well, the end is our first point, which is keep the goal in mind. A key to Christian maturity is keeping the goal in mind. And what is the goal here? Look at verse 4. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking 
in nothing. Now, when he says perfect, he doesn't mean sinless perfection. I mean, he's going to go on in just another couple chapters and talk about how we all stumble in many ways. No, the word perfect means fully formed. That you have, in fact, reached a point where we would say the word maturity fits in. In fact, the, the Christian Standard Bible, which is a very good modern translation, actually uses the word mature because that's what he's talking about. That you have reached a point in your faith where you are mature. That you are not no longer susceptible to being blown and tossed by every wind of doctrine. Which is something that we're admonished to multiple times in the Bible. That we are no longer susceptible to violent upheavals of faith at every little whip snitch. Maturity can be attained, but how? Well, by remembering the second point, that the present serves the future. You see, God calls us to steadfastness, and then we are to engage our wills and let steadfastness have its complete effect. Notice that word there in the, your Bible. Let it. So once again, don't think that God calls you to be a, a wood post planted in that field that stuff just happens to it. You grow and become spiritually tough, and by tough, I mean resilient by engaging the will by the power of the Spirit, mortifying the desires of the flesh, living in step with the Spirit. That's the doctrine known as vivification. But we are told, let steadfastness have its full effect. But steadfastness is what is produced by us remaining spiritually strong in the face of difficulty. When we face present tense difficulties, what we are experiencing are the sandpaper that God uses to make us more like Jesus. And being steadfast then prevents us from being blown and tossed by the wind. It is persevering. And so, when you go through life, he says in verse 2, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. I'm sad to say that he doesn't say if, he says when. And what's interesting here is the word for trials of various kinds. We tend to think of the, the bad things that come our way. You know, you're getting laid off from your job and or, or, or you get sick or, or something. And that's included. But he has in mind just about every circumstance that could plausibly serve to undermine your walk with Jesus. Not everything is bad. You want to know something that we all, I bet most of us think is good, but there's a long, track record of it derailing people's faith. Affluence. 
peace, security, comfort. I'm not saying these are bad. They're good. Don't think that trials are limited to bad things like cancer and car accidents. Anything in your life that becomes something by which your faith is going to be challenged by the other is a trial. And God wants you in the face of everything, whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly, to have an enduring faith that clings to the promises and turns away from the enticements of the world and stands fast. That is what he wants for us. And so, based upon the fact that our Lord says to us, let endurance and steadfastness work itself out that you may be complete. And oh yeah, when you have these trials in life, they are the sandpaper that is allowing you to develop steadfastness. That's why he then says in verse 2, count it all joy. To count means to reckon. When you experience something, you reckon it one way or the other. And life's about choices. You have a choice to make about every circumstance that you face. How do you consider it? Because how we consider it informs how we respond to it. If I, if I consider something to be a threat, I respond to it one way. If I, if I think something is a blessing, I respond to it another way. So how do we reckon the circumstances of life? Well, we are to reckon it as a source of joy. That's tough. And there's some misconceptions in here. Some people think that what he's saying is that we should exult in getting mesothelioma. Oh, my, my child just died of cancer. Yay! My, my employment just dried up. Woohoo! That's not what he's saying. In fact, we're told in Hebrews that right now some things are uncomfortable. No, what is he calling us to? He's, he's calling us to a Christ-like attitude that sees the victory of Jesus as the great sun on the horizon that eclipses all other things so that I am now able to look at events in my present in light of the overpowering, overwhelming beauty and transcendence of what he has done, which then provides meaning so that I can see the value of even the worst of things. Remember, Paul himself says that they were despairing when they were so severely afflicted that they were despairing even of life itself. But nonetheless, we are told in 2 Corinthians 7 that despite all affliction, he's overflowing with joy. How is that? Because of 
the beauty of the victory of Jesus in his sight provides the light and the meaning for him to interpret everything else. And so he recognizes that no matter what comes his way, it is a tool in the hands of a good and kind Savior to refine him and make him fit for heaven. And that's good news. It brings good news even to the worst of news. And so one of the things that James wants us to drive home early on, because he's going to be talking a lot in this book about what it looks like to grow, what it looks like to be, uh, to be a mature Christian. And he's going to be pulling, he's going to be pulling no punches. He's going to be telling some people who are, who are poor or, or if any of you lacks wisdom. I mean, someone who lacks wisdom is immature, right? He, he's he's going to be hitting the nail on the head, but he wants you to see at the front end that the, the circumstances of life that we so often are temptoil, tempted to recoil from or the circumstances of life that are so pleasant that we're oftentimes tempted to just want to immerse ourselves in like a big blanket and just be snuggle and not leave that place, the circumstances of life are intended by God to bring about our increased endurance and spiritual resiliency that we may be steadfast. That we may then grow into maturity in all things. And so life is a big training ground. Even as we are on mission to make Jesus look excellent before the world, Life is a big training ground in which your own salvation is being worked out in terms of sanctification by the Holy Spirit through your daily encounters. That's a big, wonderful, profound matrix. But that's where James starts. So that each of us, in every way, may orient the picture just right so that we can no longer see every little bad thing that happens as some sign that God doesn't love me or, or oh, if, 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 only, if, if only other people would stop thwarting, you know, what, the good that I got coming or something. Stop! This is all God's plan to make you holy. These are tools. So choose joy and persevere in the midst and don't whine and moan and groan, but instead let it work itself out that you might be mature. Let's pray.